Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. We put up our Christmas tree, um, and it's a tradition for us uh, to always play Christmas music while putting up the Christmas tree. I don't know if you guys do that. We do that. And, uh, and so and there's nothing like having the classics playing in the background, right? And it's so funny how we memorize Christmas songs. Like, we know that we don't hear them for an entire year, but then they come up again, and we know them by heart. I can prove that to you. Watch. Help me out. Help me out. Uh, see if you can finish this song for me, right? Deck the halls with boughs of holly. Wow, see that? You guys are amazing. I mean, that's just crazy, right? How about this? On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me three French hens, two turtle doves, and... Right, right. I mean, look at that. I mean, you haven't heard that song for an entire year, but you guys have it ingrained in your heart. Everybody remembers those. But actually, for the next four weeks, what we're going to do here at Inspire is we are going to talk about the forgotten hymns of Christmas the forgotten hymns of Christmas. And I am believing that this will cause all of us to understand Christmas possibly in a way that we have never maybe understood it before. See it in a different light and appreciate the message, the meaning, and of course the gospel in Jesus Christ. And so this morning I get to kick off this series and I'm very excited about it. Um, And we're going to be actually looking at the very first Christmas carol ever composed. Do we got one screen going? Wow, look at that. Okay, we're getting there. Um, and um, and, uh, and the, the songwriter for this particular song is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and scholars have titled this song Magnificat. Magnificat. Um, and uh, which is Latin for my soul magnifies the Lord. Look at somebody say magnify the Lord. Yeah, magnify the Lord. And so that's what we are going to be talking about uh, this morning. And I'll try to be a little bit energetic up here until the screens last because I know that that could be a little distracting. But I'm glad that they're getting it going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we get to come together, God. We get to hear your word. We get to worship you, Lord. We get to celebrate you and honor you, God. We get to worship you. We get to magnify you. And Heavenly Father, exalt you and praise you. And I pray this morning, God, that as we, as a body of believers, come together to do just that, that Heavenly Father, you will be the centerpiece of all that we do and that you will get the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody says... Pretty good. Um, So uh, just a little introduction. Mary is a teenage Jewish girl who comes from no place and really is no one. Uh, But she loves God and she knows his word. We know this because the song that she wrote uh, that we are about to read, a lot of that song comes from the Old Testament. And at this particular juncture in Mary's life, the angel has come to Mary and already told her, hey, listen, 
Mary, you've got the golden ticket. Y'all remember the movie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? You remember that movie with Willy Wonka, right? And so Willy Wonka's the owner of this giant chocolate factory. It's kind of mysterious. It's been shut down for years. But then all of a sudden, it kind of comes alive again. People see smoke coming from its chimney. And golden tickets, five of them, are spread out throughout the world. And whoever gets a golden ticket gets to come and visit the chocolate factory. And then one of them actually gets to win a lifetime supply of chocolates. You guys remember that, right? And and so lo and behold, this kid named Charlie, who is just poor, he's nobody, nobody knows who this kid is. His parents are poor. He lives with his mom and his dad. He lives with both grandparents who are like bedridden. So there are these four grandparents, these four grandparents laying in a bed. Remember that? And you guys remember Grandpa Joe? And like he hasn't walked in like years. He's like in his 90s, right? And then all of a sudden, Charlie comes home and he won the golden ticket, right? And so they start to dance, you know, I got a golden ticket. And, you know, grandpa jumps out of bed, miracle of miracles. I think he was just lying. He was just lazy for like the last 30 years. He just didn't want to do anything. (laughs) But, you know, who knows, whatever. Point is, golden ticket, you know, lifetime of chocolate equals miracles, signs and wonders. And so grandpa Joe has this ability to walk. He starts dancing around, right? Golden ticket. You guys know the story. Well, in a sense, Mary got the golden ticket. Um, In a sense, Mary uh, was the one that sort of uh, was chosen because everyone then was hoping to be the one chosen to carry the Messiah. Because for the Jews, they knew prophecy. They knew the Messiah would, would come. And every family and every household told the story. And I could just see the fathers with their children around looking at their daughters and saying, hey, one day it might be you. And, you know, the little girls wanting to be it. I mean, this was just it. Everybody wanted to be chosen. And Mary, who would have never thought in a million quadrillion years, was the one that was chosen. She was chosen, and she was. And so now she is chosen. She's pregnant, uh, and, and she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and, uh, who is also pregnant. And Elizabeth is pregnant uh, with John the Baptist. And so the baby in her is going to be John the Baptist. And Mary goes and visits her, and they begin to have this conversation. And as they begin to have this conversation, Mary is struck with what Elizabeth Elizabeth says about both her and even about Jesus. And you might think, well, wait a minute. Does she say a lot about Jesus? Actually, what you'll find when we read the verses, she does. She actually says a lot about Jesus because she says that, listen, uh, and she uses this very powerful Trinitarian language, heavy duty, kind of lofty theology when she says, the Lord has made this promise to you. Blessed is she who believes what the Lord has said to you um, and that it will be accomplished. Um, And so she's talking about the Lord, but on the other hand, she also acknowledges that the baby inside the womb of Mary is also the Lord. So who's the Lord? Is it the one who sent the baby or is it the baby? You see? Well, actually, it's both. It's both. 
The, the, is the Lord the one who promised the baby or is the Lord the baby? The answer is yes. This is very lofty. This is astonishing. You have Elizabeth. Of course, her theology is high. It's nuanced. It's Trinitarian. You know, the father is God. The son is God. It, it's not like one is the real God and the other is sort of, you know, an, an emissary or something or, or whatever. Right? They both are Lord. They are the same, but yet they aren't the same. This is high level stuff. She is filled with the Holy Spirit. The minute that Mary and, and, and Elizabeth come in contact with each other, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she makes these remarkable statements about Mary and about Jesus. And then that's when the penny drops for Mary. It's, it's, like, it's like when she has this conversation, which you'll see in a minute, the, uh, that, that's when it finally clicks for Mary. That's when the penny drops. And, and, and it's, it's as if Elizabeth is able to pull together all of these things that Mary must have been thinking about on the way to Elizabeth's house, right? The scripture she was pondering, what the angel said, right? And, it, and all of a sudden, the penny drops, it comes together. And instead of it being a sort of semi-comprehensive sort of submission... Mary sees it. She gets it. She sees it clearly and joy and through release, she begins to sing the first Christmas carol ever. And this is where we drop into this story. So in Luke chapter one, Luke chapter one, you can pull out your phones or your Bibles. <laughs> Luke chapter one, starting in verse 40, uh, it says this, she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women. Say blessed. blessed. And your child is blessed. Say blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed. Say blessed. blessed. Because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And now from that, Mary responds with the first Christmas carol. This is what she says. Oh, how my soul magnifies the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took nice, uh, uh, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Say blessed. For the mighty one is holy. Say holy. And he has done great things, for he shows mercy. Say mercy. From generation to generation to all who fear him. He is mighty. Shout mighty. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. Oh, I love that part. Yes, Lord. And sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made the promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Song ends. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months. And then she went back to her own home. Wow. First Christmas carol. Isn't that crazy? 
The, the word blessed gets thrown around a lot, doesn't it? We, we use it for everything, especially around the holiday season, and not just in Christian circles. In fact, some of the pictures I, were gonna sh- I was going to show you today was when you went onto Instagram and you did like hashtag blessed life, and it's so funny what comes up. There was a guy in front of like a, a private jet. There was a lady showing off her, you know, manicured toes, and there was a person holding a cat, you know. Um, there was somebody with family. There's people that had like rolls of dollar bills. There was somebody like on a beach just kind of chilling. They had their feet showing in the picture with the beach in the background. Y'all know that shot, right? I mean, and, and so th- this is kind of what society deems as blessed, right? I remember I was driving uh, in the mall and I was trying to find a parking spot. It was packed, man. Everything was full. And then lo and behold, all of a sudden, miracles of miracles, as if God that is all sovereign before the foundations of time, who created all the cosmos before he ever hung a star, predestined for this one particular spot to be open for me to pull into right in front in the center of the mall so I didn't have to walk that far. That's just a praise report right there. And so I pulled it and as I was pulling into that parking spot, I said, hashtag blessed, right? Because that's kind of how we equate this, right? We equate, we, equate all of that. we equate all of that with being blessed. So what exactly does that mean when we see this over and over and over again? Uh, how, do you, how do you and I know what it is that Mary is being blessed for? Why is she being called blessed? Right? And if you ever get the real meaning of this, you'll actually capture the very heart of the gospel. The very heart of the gospel. And even though this is the first Christmas carol written, technically, right? But actually, it's not like our Christmas music today. It's not sentimental at all, right? Today's Christmas music is very sentimental. It talks about, you know, I don't know, you know, dashing through snow and, you know, building snowmen and, and you know, warm chestnuts on an open fire, which I've never had, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Makes it sound good, right? You're like, I want warm chestnuts on an open fire, you know? Don't even know if I like chestnuts, but maybe I do. Apparently, I like them warmed over a fire, roasted. Guess that's the way to eat it, because this song makes me want to do that, right? I mean, the Christmas songs are very sentimental, but actually, the real story of Christmas isn't, because it, it, it isn't sentimental. It's actually revolutionary. A true Christmas song really should turn our world upside down. And so when we look at this Christmas carol this morning, I want to ask four questions. Everybody say four questions. Four questions. I'm going to have you talk a lot since it's not on the screen just to get your attention, keep you awake. Question number one, what was the reason Mary was blessed? Question number two, what was the nature of her blessing? Question three, what was the basis of her blessing? And then finally, we'll consider this question, are you blessed? Are you blessed? Ready? Number one, what was the reason Mary was blessed? Well, at this point, the, the, the statements that are made, Mary's life was pretty much ruined, right? Her reputation was ruined. She was a teenage girl out of wedlock uh, that was pregnant out of wedlock in a culture, and and in that culture, it was a serious scandal. Added to the fact that she was engaged to another guy, but they lived apart, so people knew that the baby was not his, so she really was considered a girl who was loose and a liar. She really was. 
And this stained her reputation. It stayed with her in the eyes of many, really, for the rest of her life. Even when Jesus was older, there were still some who told the story that Mary had gotten pregnant by a Roman soldier. And, and, And so it's interesting because here God blessed her, but in that ruined her reputation. God ruined her reputation. Think about that. God, look at two people and say, God did it. God did it. God did it. Yeah. He, he could have done it any other way, right? He could have chosen any other way, but yet he put her in this situation. And so let me ask you this. If you were to see Mary in that situation, would you have looked at her and said, she's blessed? Of course not. If we would have seen a a teenage pregnant girl that was pregnant out of wedlock, that had a fiance, the baby was not his, they were living apart, and so her whole social life is now ruined. Her economical life is ruined. She is already poor, now she's poorer than poor. We would look at that person and we would never say, ooh, hashtag blessed. Never. We'd never take a, a selfie with her and be like, you know, blessed life. We wouldn't do that. We would look at her situation and be like, oh, something's wrong with her. Like, her faith must be off. Girl, you need to pray more. You need to read more. Like, what's going on with you? You're going to, like, you know, you're going to the midweek services. You get into the connects. Like, what's going on? You know, we would, we would have conversations. We, we would not look at her and say she was blessed or highly favored. She was poor. She was the poorest. Scripture shows that when they went to go offer sacrifices, right, um, at, at Jesus' birth, they couldn't afford to buy a lamb. No, that was way out. They, they, they couldn't do that. They, they had to offer two turtle doves, which is basically like pennies. I mean, and it was, even though the law required a sacrificial lamb, because there were certain people that were so poor, they couldn't even afford a lamb. So they had to use two, two turtle doves to do it. And Mary was one of those people, right? If we were to look at her situation, we would say, wait a minute, why would we call her blessed? Why would we call her blessed? Because she was not given a close parking space in the mall of life. That was not her, right? And yet she was blessed because in the very core of her being, she was carrying God. Think about that. She was carrying God. So what's the nature of this blessing? Number two, what's the nature of this blessing? Notice how much she speaks about God in the first person in this, so- in this song that she sings. She says, God, my Savior, he has looked on me. I was hungry, you fed me. I was lowly, you exalted me. And yet she's saying all this stuff, but nothing in her circumstance has changed. Do you notice that? She's talking about how she's blessed. She's talking about how God is exalted, how God is great, how awesome he is. He's, she, she's lifting him up. And yet her circumstance has stayed exactly the same. It's not like all of a sudden, the, the, you know, everyone in society was like, oh, our eyes have been opened. Now we get it, you know, and have a big prayer for Mary. No, they were still talking about her. They were still shunning her. They were still looking down, Right. Why was she doing, why was she, how could she exalt God in the midst of that? Here's why. Because she was not rejoicing in what God has given her, but what God has become to her in Christ. She was not rejoicing in what God has given her, but in what God has become to her in Jesus Christ. At this point, Christ in her is the only exaltation that she has. That's it. 
That's it. The baby in her womb is her only fullness, is her only substance, is her only, only salvation. If you check out verse 49, it says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. If you check out verse 50, it says, for his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That's all she has left is this baby in the womb. And that becomes her fullness. That is her salvation. And in the song, she actually brings up three attributes that Mary uses uh, to, for God. And when you combine those three attributes, you actually get the gospel. And it's interesting how they contrast between who God is and the state of, that Mary is in. Let's look at the first attribute. She calls God holy. Holy. People really have misunderstood the word holy. They really have. They've misunderstood the word holy. And they, they kind of make holiness to be like sort of this maybe ultra-religious, you know, sort of like you got the awesome sauce of spirituality. You know, you're the Jedi of the group or something. You know what I mean? Like, yes, you're holy. You know, and you kind of just, I don't know, you float around or something. Um, you know, that's holy. For some of us, we think holy in legalistic terms. So we think, you know, hair up, makeup off, you know, dress down. Uh, long dress, I mean, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you, know, that, you know, all those kind of stuff, you know what I'm saying? And so that's holy. That's what my, my grandma used to say. She would, tell my, she would tell my sister, hair up, dress down, because you have to have your dress down to your ankles and your hair up. But anyway, and so that was, that was holy, right? But actually, holy just means wholeness, wholeness or perfection. And when we say God is holy, what Mary is saying is God is perfect. He's whole. He needs nothing else. He needs no added thing to him. Nothing needs to be added. He doesn't need an addition. He's not missing anything. He is whole. He is perfect. He has no corruption. And that actually contrasts with what Mary says because Mary says, I need a savior. In her very song, she says, I need a savior. She's not perfect. She too has been corrupted by sin and needs to be redeemed. Just like each and every one of us. Just like all of us. We all sin. We all fall short, right? And we all make mistakes. I was wrapping gifts, and I was like halfway through last year and wrapping halfway through, and, and I realized I used the wrong wrapping paper. Yeah, you know, you don't think about it. You just start wrapping. It looks the same. But I knew my, my wife wasn't going to be happy if I kept it on there. It said happy birthday all over it. So I just wrote Jesus, yeah, I just wrote Jesus because, you know, he's the answer for everything. Made it all right. But I was actually scared. I said, you know, look, if I show her this, she's going to be like, what are you doing? And I just felt like such a failure. And that is such a small, very little and almost immature example of what it is to fail. But in reality, we all fail. In reality, we all make mistakes. In reality, we are all filled with sin, and we are not perfect, but we serve a God who is, right? The church is not made up of perfect people, but we come together to worship the God who is. He is holy. He is also merciful. He's merciful. Mercy means that God looked at us and had compassion. He couldn't just watch as we perish, right? Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 that our compassion for our kids is evil compared to God's love for us. Can you imagine that? Right? I love my kids. I will do anything for them. We had this one incident. Disneyland was phenomenal. It was the best time ever. There was this one little tiny, little tiny. 
tiny incident where one of their cast members decided to pop off with Becky and the kids right there. Now, listen, you don't do that. You don't do that with me. You can come and talk to me any way you want, but not my kids, Lord. Right? And, I, and, and, and so I started feeling the flesh come up, and I started wanting to clap back. And Becca was like, you know, calm down, Roger. It's cool. Like, we got this. And I mean, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and because the reality, because the reality is, is I love my, I go to defense real quick because I love my kids. But the love that I have for my kids looks evil in comparison to the, to the love that God has for me. Isn't that crazy? He's merciful. He's compassionate on us. But he's not just holy. He's not just merciful. He, look what Mary says. He's mighty. He's mighty. Watch this. Because he's holy, he had to do something about our sin. Because he's merciful, he wanted to do something about our sin. And look what this theologian says. Because he's mighty, he was able to do something about our sin. I'll say that again for the people who are trying to take notes really quick. Um, because he is holy, he had to do something about our sin. Because he is merciful, he wanted to do something about our sin. And because he's mighty, he was able to do something about our sin. Holy and merciful and mighty. See, do you still think you're too guilty for God to forgive you? That you're too messed up for God to save? No, you're not. David says in Psalms 8 that this God who created the world with his finger, a world that is so big that I'm just a speck on, that he would look at me and he would regard me. You see that? God would even regard us. This is part of the greatest blessing. The blessing that makes all other blessings appear insignificant to comparison. When you think of things in your life that make you feel blessed, whether it's a new car, whether it's a job, whether it's your family, whether it's whatever it is, your education, you got a diploma, you know, you finally, I don't know, whatever it is, so something happens to you, like, man, I'm feeling blessed right now. When you capture what it really means to be blessed, when you grab the Christmas message, when you understand the gospel, that blessing just outshines all other blessing that you could possibly experience in your life, right? He was holy. Jesus Christ was holy. He lived the perfect life, perfectly loved to God and to man. He was a picture of what we were supposed to be, what God wanted to make us. He was merciful. Can you think of anyone that came to him in repentance that he ever turned away for any reasons? No, his mercy almost appears reckless almost, right? He was merciful. He was mighty. Christ was so strong. Was there anything that, that, that we could fear that he could not fix? Is there anything that he could not cure? Is there any demon that he could not command? Is there any storm that he could not still or grace that he could not empty? No, of course not. Of course not. To the dying thief on the cross, he showed us that there is no sinner beyond reach of his mercy. To the woman with the issue of blood, he showed us that there is no problem too small, no person too marginal for him to care about or to love. He is the treasure and he is the blessing. In Christ, God was fulfilling the promise that he gave to Abraham and his descendants many years before when he said he was going to bless them. 2,000 years passed by when that promise was made, and I'm sure many people probably concluded uh, that that promise was no longer valid. And even when the angel showed up to Mary, at that point, people had not heard from God for 400 years, yet God had not forgotten in all things, he was working to bring forth Jesus, 
which is a greater blessing than any of them had ever dreamed. And in the same way, he's working in and through you, sometimes invisibly and silently to bring forth Jesus from you. But you need to know that he has not forgotten. He has not forgotten. Our God does not forget. Being blessed and highly favored does not mean living a life without suffering or bad situations or that, oh man, you know, a life with blessing means I'm always going to get that parking spot in front at the mall. No. But what it does mean is that you're going to have the promises and the presence of God in your life and through every situation that you go through because God is committed to conforming you towards the image of Jesus Christ and bringing others to know Jesus through you as well. Number three, what's the basis of this blessing? You know, what you should notice in this song is that, there, that there's actually very little about Mary. And we don't want to miss what, what is said about Mary. Sometimes, um, you know, when the Reformation happened and we kind of, and Catholicism and Protestant kind of broke off, there, there's almost this fear of talking about Mary because we don't want to idolize her. But at the same time, we have to recognize and honor who Mary was. We have to recognize and honor who Mary was. And yet, in all of that, there's a couple lines about her, but the rest is all about God, his character, his promises. And, and what's interesting is there's nothing in this song about her personal worthiness, right? In fact, it's the complete opposite. She says, God is my savior. She sees herself as guilty and unworthy and empty and hungry and weak and in need of mercy and need of help and strength and in need of a savior. Well, what was the basis of this blessing? What was the basis of the song? If you don't capture it by now, you should. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. The essence of the Magnificat does not consist in its particular language or figures of speech, but in its revolutionary blueprint of divine favor. It is a hymn, not of the proud, but of the powerless, right? Not just of just desserts, but of unexpected grace. Not of a world fully controlled and determined by human power, but overturned by divine comedy. God is the subject of every verb, and the verbs are all transitive. They, they don't only declare who God is, but also what God does as the powerful deliverer of the needy and oppressed. God does not turn away from, from want and, and oppression, but he tor- turns towards both of them in compassion and rescuing intervention. In most religions, a meeting with God requires the low to ascend high, the sinners to earn sainthood. But the Magnificent reverses all the protocol and expectation. God who is high becomes low. He sees human need and initiates a revolution that reorders reality. The transcendent God intercedes on behalf of a lowly young woman and calls her blessed. The Almighty gives mercy to those who fears him and scatters the strong and the proud and the rich while filling up the hungry and the needy with all good things. The reversal of expectations announced in this song appears throughout the New Testament. And so it leaves you and I to be faced with the question, are you living as one blessed and highly favored? What does this Christmas message really mean? What is Mary's song really saying? 
And although we will never be earthly mothers or fathers of Jesus, Mary's song, in a lot of ways, is our song. Mary's song is the Christmas message. The Bible says every Christian is seated at the right hand of God, as it were, as holy and blameless in his sight, just like Mary, who is amazed by the fact that though she was humble and though she needs a savior, right? Though she, and, 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 and though she is saved by grace, she has now been given this tremendous position, this tremendous honor, not because she earned it, but because God chose it, right? And every Christian, when we sing, we sing like that. We should be singing like that, but not only that. Notice what she says. She says, my spirit, my soul. I love that because you know my spirit, my soul are just two ways of talking about the very immaterial core center of, 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 of the same thing, of the same of who you are. And, and she's not talking about two parts of her. One part is rejoicing and one part is glorifying. Her. But, but, but she's using semantic parallelism there when, when she's trying to say, listen, every part of me has come to understood something that I never understood before. She's not saying I found a code of ethics that I can now add to my life. She, she's not saying that I've turned over a new leaf. She's not saying that, you know, oh, I've picked up something, but she's saying that I've been picked up. She's not saying that I've turned a new leaf. She's saying I'm a totally new person. I've been completely transformed. Right? In other words, she, she's letting us know, like, Christianity is not something you just try on. It's not like we try it on, a, on like, a dress and, and try to hide the part we don't like and, and, and illuminate the parts we do. That's not what Christianity does. And when we, when we treat Christianity that way, we're going to walk away saying, ah, Christianity doesn't work. Right? But actually what she's saying is saying, don't you get it? That, 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 that this whole thing has shaken her to her very depths. Remember at the beginning how I said the song is unsentimental? Remember that? Here, here's why it's unsentimental. This is why Christmas in general is actually unsentimental. Because what she's saying is, yes, God has brought grace to this earth. Yes, God's grace has come to this earth, and that is true. Right? It's true. That's, that's what she's saying. But look at what else she is saying. She is also saying this, that you need to understand that his mercy extends to those who fear him. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms, but he has also scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. She's proclaiming the gospel. The gospel is this, that you're saved by grace, not saved because you're a good person. The gospel is not that God shows his favor to the good and scatters the bad. The gospel is not that the good come in and the bad don't. But those who think that they're bad will come in, and those who think they are good won't. That's the gospel. What, what she's saying, what she's singing about is if you understand the gospel, that means you, that, that if you have this idea that, that, that you have it all together, you'll be scattered. You'll be scattered. And if you are scattered, you'll be gathered. Do you see that? If you come to God and you say, God, I, I'm all pieces, I'm broken, he will gather you. But if you come to God and you say, I got all together, God, I'm good, he'll scatter you. Yeah. Right? If you are humble, he will give you confidence like he does with Mary. Humbled and lifted up. But if you're already lifted up, he'll knock you down. 
There's nothing sentimental about that song. There's nothing sentimental about Christmas. When, it come, when you think of the Christmas message, we don't think of it in these terms. The grace of God gathers those who are scattered and scattered those who thinks they have it all together. Christmas. She says, oh, my soul magnifies the Lord. Magnifies the Lord. Magnifies the Lord. Wow. What do you magnify? If you're not sure, let me just ask you another question. Like, I don't know what I magnify. Let me just ask you, what do you rejoice in? Because look what Mary says. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Those two statements are connected. Whatever you magnify, you rejoice in. In other words, what has to be true in your life? Listen, what has to be true in your life in order for you to rejoice? Whatever that is, that's what you magnify. And if you're like, Pastor Roger, listen, I got to be honest with you. I don't really know that I have joy right now. I don't know if I have joy right now. It's likely because the source of your joy has moved from God to some lesser blessing. And here's Mary, (laughs) what looks like horrible circumstances, and yet she's rejoicing. Yet she's rejoicing. She's singing. She's saying, never have I been so broken down and yet built up. Never have I been so empty and yet filled. Never have I been so stripped down naked and yet clothed richly. This is what Mary's saying. She's excited because the Savior of the world is coming. She's excited because the Redeemer is about to be born. This is a song that we can all sing, that we can all celebrate. She was carrying the savior of the world. God became man. And in the dressing room called Mary's womb, the word put on flesh. The savior is coming. Hope was coming. And for all of us today, hope came. If you get this, then you get Christmas. Let's magnify the Lord together. I have something inside of me. It's growing within, obviously. It surely isn't subtle and not at all low-key, but it's complex and precise, and it's really quite nice, considering what some women have gone through to get to this place, the longing I've felt for that sweet face-to-face, and now I'm in it, this life now conceived, And I can't stop thinking about the woman who believed. Can you imagine? Perhaps easier, now that we know what happened, that the angel came and broke the news, said the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So powerful and holy, he will bless your womb, said the servant of God. The Lord is with you. You will carry a son. It sounds impossible, I know. But with God, nothing is. So let it be so. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to go for a walk. Get some fresh air. Give myself a pep talk. I can do this. I'm strong. This was his will all along. He chose me, Mary. Me, Mary, and 
contrary to Chaka, I guess I am not every woman. Cause Jesus in me. And I am going to have this baby. Gonna do it naturally. Still, that song doesn't quite do it. Because I won't do it alone. It's only by him that I will even be known. He has looked upon me with great grace and mercy. Yes, her. See, I've heard them talk about me. She's a plain Jane and a, a little insane. A virgin, all right. I hear what they're saying. But in the thoughts of their hearts, he scatters the proud. For he is all-knowing. Words need not be allowed. He brings down the mighty from their thrones and lifts up the meek with his strength he has shown. The rich sent away and the hungry fulfilled with all that is good, what is done he has willed. He has done great things and holy is he. He sits on a throne and still thinks of me. For those who will fear him, his mercy abound. And for all of these reasons, my soul shall resound. My spirit rejoices, Lord God, my Savior. And with worshipful noises, his favor I will savor. Upon my life as a daughter and a wife, and now as a mother, he will mold me. He'll transform me as he forms the Messiah within me, who later will be hung on a tree, a tree that will connect you and me. That's called a family tree that he drew, not me. And generation to generation will proclaim his fame because he'll crush the soul game and leave nothing the same. That's why they exclaim his name, Jesus, Jesus, my sweet baby Jesus. For the one in my womb, I'll prepare a room. For the one in my womb, I will prepare a room. And now I'm more than motivated to birth the future hated king. So in worship, witness, and wonder will I wear the sweat on my brow and the wet in my hair. I give myself, my body, my soul, a servant to you who gives joyfully. And blessed is she who believed that there'd be a word spoken and fulfilled by the Lord God Almighty. How beautiful was she. And still now, I think of her and I'm scared. I fear that I will be too weak, concerned of what people think. Maybe the timing's all wrong. Maybe we took too long. But then I hear music. I feel a song coming on. And the lyrics of me and I turn to him and he. This is all about you 
not at all about me. I have something inside of me that's growing within. It should be shared and heard and heeded word for word. So I'll make sure that it is sung and I will birth it, but from my lungs, that it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.